Um, anyone like pizza here? Yes. Come on, let's have a shout for pizza if you like pizza. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Raise your hands in the air if you love a bit of pizza. That's good. Most of us like pizza. If you don't like pizza, don't worry. We will pray for you at the end. Uh, you quite obviously need it. Okay, but we can all agree, pizza's pretty good. Pizza is lovely. It's hot, it's cheesy, um, a bit like me. Uh, <laughs> oh, gosh. It is lovely, though. But here's a question. Who likes pineapple on their pizza? Raise your hand if you like pineapple on your pizza. Come on. Yes, yes. There's a few less hands. See, pineapple on pizza is great, isn't it? You know, you get the cheese, you get the salt, but then you get that freshness, that mmm. It's beautiful. It's sweet. It gives that tang. Clayton's already shaking his head. Raise your hand if you don't like pineapple on your pizza. Oh, it's about 50-50 split. I agree with you. Who would think that, you know, when you've got this perfect edible plate of dough with cheese on it, who thinks, right, you know what this needs? Health. No one thinks that. You know what this needs? A bit of, a bit of fruit. No one thinks that. Pineapple on pizza, disgusting. Get out of here. There's a lot of quite controversial, isn't there? You've got about a 50-50 split in the room. Who likes pineapple on their pizza? Who doesn't? Some people, Clayton Green, very vocal. <laughs> but now you're thinking about pineapple. Now you're thinking about pineapple. And the thing is, and where I'm going with this, is this, now that I've got talking about pineapple, what you're thinking about is you're thinking about those that like pineapple on pizza and those that don't like pineapple on pizza. Which camp do you fit into? But you've forgotten the th reason we're talking about this is the fact that we all like pizza. You've forgotten about the main thing is that it's the pizza that brings us together, not the toppings, not the pineapple, not the non-pineapple. It's the fact that it's the pizza that is the thing that has brought us together in this conversation. And as we go into uh, our study through 1 Corinthians 3, I want us to be thinking about this. Because this is going to be a chapter on division, division in the churches, about who follows who, how, we, how they're going to build up the church. But one of the things that Paul does, Paul reminds him, is the fact that they've forgotten that first and foremost, this church belongs to God. And when we, as a, and when we as a church forget that we belong to God, forget that God is the one that unites us, God is the one that brings us together. When we take that out of the picture, when we take God out of the picture, and we forget about him, we think and focus on other things, that is when we get divided. If we open up our Bibles to 1 Corinthians 3, I want to just show us something which I found really handy when looking at this. See, in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul reminds the Corinthian church three times at the end of each, pass like each thought that he has that they belong to God. If we drop down to verse 9, he says this. He says, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field and God's building. If we drop down to the end of verse 17, it says, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. 
And at the very end of the chapter, Paul says it again to this church in 23, you are Christ's and Christ is God's. See, with a church here in Corinth that is so divided about so many things, they've forgotten that actually the most important thing is that they belong to God. The thing that's brought them together is God. So, I'm going to read the whole chapter, and then we're going to pray again, and we're going to talk through it. So, starting in chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says this, he says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. He says, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready for it, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos, or what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. It says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now if anyone builds on that foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay or straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test it, what sort of work each has done. If the work anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. For do you not know that you are God's temple, and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. So let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For as it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, and they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul, Apollos, Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Father God, we just thank you for this chapter, Lord. We thank you for all the good things in there, Lord. We thank you. Yeah, we just thank you for all that you have done through Paul in Corinth, Lord, way back when, Father God. And I thank you that it applies now, Lord. We can see um, that your word still applies to our church today, Lord. 
Uh, and I pray that you would help us to be encouraged. I pray that you would help us to heed the warnings uh, and be, be sober to, to the things that are said, Lord. Help us to not just dismiss heavy passages, Lord, but help us to be aware of what this means, Father God. And thank you for the promise, Lord God, that you uh, have given us, that you have made us your people and that we are yours, Lord God. We belong to Christ and Christ belongs to you. We are your people. And I pray that you would help us to remind, uh, be reminded of that um, today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well done, you sat and listened very well. That was a long chapter to get through. But we got a lot more talking. So buckle in, guys. Anyway, verses 1 to 4, okay? Verse 1 to 4, we're going to look at them quickly. But the thing that we're going to be thinking about today what I've already sort of said, is that the church belongs to God. That's the thing we need to remember. As we go through our chapter, we need to remember that the church belongs to God and that we belong to God. We're going to look at three things that a church that belongs to God needs to remember. The first one is a church that belongs to God needs to recognize the goal of gospel unity. When I say recognize the goal of gospel unity just simply means recognize that actually we are meant to be a united church. Church united if we were a football club. But we're not. Anyway, verses 1 to 4, it says this, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk and not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For where there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh, and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? So what is Paul saying here? He uses these phrases a lot. You're people of the flesh. You're just being human. You're not spiritually mature. Why is he on about milk, solid food? This is what Paul is saying, though. He's saying this Corinthian church, they want to be addressed as mature. They want to be seen and known as people that are, you know, they're wise believers, they, they're mature believers, they know a lot about God. They want to be sort of this, this wise, understanding, learned church where people look at them and think, wow, look how, look how great they are. They're people that want to be known for how they follow Jesus and to be seen as better than others. They want to be these spiritual people. But Paul says, I can't address you like that. You want to be known as spiritual, spirit-filled believers. But you're still acting as people of the flesh. Which means you're still acting like the rest of the world. There are people that say, I want to be known for the, how mature I am in following Jesus. But Paul is saying, you're still acting as if you weren't following Jesus. That's why he says you're infants in Christ. My mum used to say, I think my mum used to say to me, she still says to me now as an adult, if you're going to be like a baby, I'm going to treat you like a baby. If you're going to act like a baby, I'll treat you like a baby. And Paul is saying the same things. He's saying if you're still, you know, if you're still going to be like people that don't believe in Jesus, how do you expect me to treat you like mature Christians? You know, they want what, Paul's talking about solid food, deeper, richer teaching, like 
deeper things. But Paul says, I've still got to feed you with milk. Now, what is milk? What is milk to a baby? It's food. I was very blessed. I got to go see my nephew. My nephew is three weeks old. Very cute. I got to see him yesterday. I didn't go up to him and say, hey, Caleb, you're looking cute down there. I got you a 15-ounce steak. That would be weird, wouldn't it? I wouldn't say, here's a rack of ribs. You know, I've barbecued them specifically for you. Just look me googly-eyed and say, well, he wouldn't say anything. He's three weeks old. But a baby needs milk. Caleb, he needs milk. Milk is the foundation, the basics. That's why babies have milk. They need the basics for them to grow. They need the foundation in order to grow. And Paul is saying, I've given, already given you, I've already fed you with a foundation. You know, uh, John and Johnny, they were talking about how Paul is recentering them on the gospel, um, recentering them on Christ crucified uh, in chapters one and two. But we see that they've missed out one of the key parts of the gospel that makes them like the rest of the world, is that the gospel is one of unity. The gospel is a gospel of unity, not of division. If we've got our Bibles, can we flick over to Ephesians chapter 2? I just want to read us just a small chat, uh, passage from verses 11 to 19. It's quite a chunky passage. Ephesians chapter 2 says this. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by the flesh of hands. Remember that at one time, you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, which is God's people, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. This is the key verse. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. That verse, he himself is our peace and made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Christ brings people together. He is the one that unites us. He is the one that makes us God's people. If we drop down to verse 19, it says, You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are all fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And that is what the Corinthian church had forgotten. They're so focused on, you know, I want to follow Paul. I want to follow Apollos. You know, I'm of this group. I'm of that group. But they've forgotten that the main thing that brings them together is the fact that the gospel is one of unity and bringing the church together. Which is what Paul then goes on to talk about, comparing himself to Apollos. He says, what is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to the labor. For we are God's fellow workers, God's field, God's building. 
The Corinthian church, they're all divided. But Paul says, you know, even as our leaders, the ones you're dividing over, we recognize that actually it's not about me or Apollos. It's not about one or the other. You say, we are just servants here to do the Lord's will. We are here just as God's people to do one thing, to bring a united church and see God grow his people. That is why he says, you know, one planted and the other watered. They had different roles, but it is God that gave the growth. He says, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. They don't see themselves as these great leaders that deserve to be followed in their own right. He says, we are nothing. It's God that brings the growth. And he says, he who plants, he who waters, they are one. They're on the same mission. They're on the same goal, which is to be united under Christ and to see God's kingdom come. We all prayed it in the Lord's Prayer, haven't we? Most of us have probably prayed it when we say, our Father who art in heaven, that wasn't, I tried to speak fast. It says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Paul and Apollos recognize that in order for that to happen, they've got to be united as a church. And he's reminding this Corinthian church they need to be united. And remember, they belong to God as God's field and God's building. And this is important for us to recognize. This is important for us to remember. Because as we go on through the letter of Corinthians, there's going to be lots of things that actually we might disagree on as a church. We're really blessed to have a, a massive variety of people, you know, a variety of ages, cultures, ethnicities. We're really blessed with the fact we're a hugely diverse church. And we've all come from different church backgrounds. And there's going to be some things that as we go in further on in Corinthians, that actually we might have a bit of a disagreement about namely the work of the Holy Spirit. That's always a classic divider. And the thing is, if we forget that actually what unites us is God, what brings us together is God, then these secondary issues, they are going to divide us. It's also important for us because as a church, you know, we're going through a lot of change at the moment. We're going to be coming up to a lot of change. We've got new elder candidates you know, who are stepping up. Praise God for them. But we've got John, you know, planted the church. He's going to be leaving. We're going to have new staff hired in, old staff going out. And if we forget that actually this church belongs to God, when all of these changes come, we might start thinking, oh, I liked it better when John did it. I liked it better when... Uh, Rory was the youth worker. I can see it on your faces now. Next week when John returns, don't go up to him and say, Rory's the best teacher ever. We never want to hear you again. That is not what I'm saying. I know it's true, but don't say it. <laughs> but this is the thing. When there's lots of change that happens in a church, we can, it can be so easy to get divided with rivalry and jealousy. But we've got to recognize that we belong to God and that we... Um, that we belong to God and that we are here for the same goal, 
for his kingdom to come, his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so in light of that, thinking about the fact that we want to see God's kingdom come, we want to see God's church being built, Paul gives us some warnings into the next one, into the next section of how the church should be built. He says this, verse 10, he says, According to the grace of God given to me, I, like a skilled master builder, laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care of how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is Christ Jesus. But anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by the fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. Yay! If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Ooh. Though he will be saved, but only as through fire. And do you not know that God's, as God's temple, God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Heavy warnings that we need to be aware of. Paul starts this section by saying that, you know, according to the grace God gave him, he laid a foundation. Paul didn't want to build this church in his own strength, his own power. He didn't say, you know what? I really fancy going to Corinth and just planting a church. I want to build a church up so I can get glorified. That's not what Paul was doing. He said, according to grace. It's not his strength, his power. It is the grace of God in him. Later on in Corinthians, he says, I am what I am by the grace of God. He says he has built it according to God's grace, and we need to take care how we're building upon it. Others are building upon it, and they need to take care of it. And this is, this is a challenge for us, because we can't lay that foundation other than that is Jesus. Jesus is the foundation of the church. He is the foundation of of our congregation here. We can't dig out the foundation and do something different with it, but we can choose whether we build on it or build apart from it. And some of you might be thinking, what is Rory on about when he's saying keep building on the foundation of Jesus? Don't worry, I haven't got like a van full of tools and bricks and mortar. We're not going to start building up a a physical church right here. I think the school would have something to say about it. But when it talks about building the church, it means contributing to the life of the church. How do we serve the church? How do we contribute uh, to the life of the church, the growth of the church around us? How do we disciple one another? The way that we contribute to this congregation, that is how we build upon the church. And the question is, are we doing it focused on the gospel? Are we doing it uh, as a response to what Jesus has done? Do we see that Jesus is the chief cornerstone of the church and everything should flow from him? 
You know, Paul says in Colossians 3.17, he says, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Everything that we need to do for this church, through this church, needs to come from responding to Jesus. Thinking, actually, what has Jesus done? How can I disciple, encourage? How can we build up the church in response? So many churches have crumbled over the years when they've decided to build the church based on other things. I mean, I'm, I've, I love reading about church history. It's kind of what I do when I study in some of my spare time. And you see that so many divisions and splits of churches happen because it's people taking it upon themselves to say, I want to see what my church looks like. I want to build up my church. And they've said, you know what? I don't want this foundation. I want to build my own thing. And when you take it off of Jesus, the church crumbles. We've all heard that story in Matthew where Jesus says, it talks about the wise man who builds his house upon the rock and the sand. The one that built his house upon the rock, which lasted, which came, you know, stood against the battering of the winds, that was because the rock was the words of Jesus. They listened to them and they did them. You know, if we are to be building the church together, we're meant to be building as a united church on that same foundation. that same foundation because if not our church is going to be divided our church is going to start splitting into different directions imagine if I said right let's start building a building and then uh, Dave you went and thought okay Roy said building I'm gonna build a shed and uh, Stephen Watson you said all right I'm gonna build a hotel and you both went off and you started building different things and said right Let's put them together, see what happens. Do you think they'll fit? And the foundation is a foundation for a house or a church. You need to recognize the foundation is Jesus. You need to build up together on that foundation, not just doing our own thing. When we recognize we belong to God, we build on that foundation together. And we've got to take care of how we build on that. Because it doesn't just have an impact now, how we contribute to the church, how we contribute to one another. But Paul is clear that it has an eternal perspective. Later on in Corinthians, uh, the guys that are going to teach, they're going to show how Paul talks about the specifics of this church. You know, what it is that was going wrong, what it is that they were teaching or building upon that was actually causing these splits. And I'm not going to talk too much about them because that's for latest, you know, late sermons. You've got to come back to tune in for them. But Paul's showing that actually what we do now doesn't just affect us now. It has this eternal perspective, these eternal warnings. And when we read these warnings that Paul gives about, you know, saying that those that are, some of your stuff might be burned up or lost, this isn't meant to scare us and to think, oh my goodness, I can't do anything again just in case it gets burnt up, just in case I've done it wrong. But it is meant to warn us and sober us to think, actually, 
Why are we doing what we're doing? Why is it that we, are, we want to serve the way we serve? Why is it we want to meet with God's people? It is meant to be a warning. Now, Paul uses two types, he says two types of things. It's either good, uh, faithful work, which is built upon Jesus, or useless work that will be burnt up and lost. And the faithful work will stand and be rewarded. There's debate on what Paul means when he says, you know, you will receive a reward. That's an eternal thing. That's something we will recognize and see when we get to heaven, what that reward will be. But that comes from faithfully building on Jesus. It comes from encouraging and discipling one another in the gospel, in Christ. Not for our own gain or for what we think would be best, but from saying, actually, how does this reflect Christ? How does this build his people and turn his people towards Jesus? And he says that there is, you know, for those of us, um, for those that don't build upon that foundation, those that just want to do their own thing, their stuff is going to be burnt up. He's going to suffer loss. Which is quite a scary thing. And again, there's debate on what this means when he says, you know, there's going to suffer loss. Some people say there's going to suffer loss in the sense of being able to, you know, when we stand face to face with God on that judgment day. And our whole lives are displayed before. Some people think that loss is going to basically be, or we just see big portions of our life where we've just done any, everything apart from Jesus and rebelled, burnt up. That loss will be the fact that we've, you know, we've wasted so much time. Some people think that that loss is that when, actually when we, when we don't stand up for Jesus in the way, or we teach a weak gospel and we've led people astray, it'll be the loss of other people. You didn't treat, teach them a full and proper gospel. There's comfort in knowing, as Paul says, you know, though he will be saved, even though he suffers loss, there's comfort knowing that actually we're not going to lose our salvation. But there is this sting of knowing that you'll be saved, but only as through fire. Who's ever had like a, like a near miss, like a close call? Like when you've stepped out into a road and a car's come around the corner, you step back and you're like... <gasps> I nearly had a car crash driving home the other day. It wasn't my fault. But it frightened me. Some car pulled out off a lay-by when I was going at 70 miles an hour. I had to slam on the brakes, honking my horn. I tried to pull into the next lane. A car's overtaking me. Got a van up but right up my backside, thinking, oh, my goodness, he's going to crash into me. That was, a, that was a very near miss. You almost had to find another preacher to come this Sunday. By the grace of God, I was okay. But it's that feeling of like, I was fine, but it shook me up. There was that sting of a close call, a real near miss. That's what Paul is saying. You know, if, even if, we, if we're Christians and we're believers, but we don't do anything to, to contribute to the church, we just sit back and say, oh, yeah, we're saved, that's fine. I don't have to do anything. You are going to feel that sting of saying, you know, you haven't contributed. You are saved. Yes, I still love you, but... Look what you could have done. I think of it like in, have you ever seen Indiana Jones? 
In the first one where he's just being chased by a big boulder, it's rolling down, and he jumps out at the very end. It's that near miss. It's meant to warn us to think, do we want to be that way? Do we want to be people that get rewarded, you know, because we're saying, yes, we're building on Jesus and we're encouraging his church. Or do we want to be people that actually just sit back and say, yeah, I'll be saved, but actually face that sting of loss? Do we see that what we do has that eternal perspective? It matters what we do here, not just for here and now, but for the future. And we see this. This is why we need to care about how the church gets built. And Paul takes it one step further with probably one of the the harshest warnings in the Bible. It says, do you not know that God's temple, you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Again, there is, you know, there's been so many books written and debates on what Paul means when he says he will destroy, you know, God will destroy those people. Has debates who Paul's talking to in Corinth. Are they people that are, you know, false teachers? Are they people that are, you know, just really don't care for the congregation? It's a bit ambiguous. But the warning is the same. When we actively seek to destroy God's temple, God's temple, God's people, when we actively seek to think, actually, what do I want first? There's going to be... There's going to be judgment for that. It makes me think of that verse in Matthew where uh, where it says... um, Jesus says this, he says, On that day, meaning the last day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And many do mighty works in your name. And I will declare to them, depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. There is a harsh warning of God takes his people seriously. It's a comfort to us knowing that actually God really does care about his people. God really does care about those that are his. But it's a reality that actually we don't want to end up that way. We need to be sober about the way that we are acting towards one another, the way that we are contributing to each other the way that we are portraying Christ, the way that we are building up the church. And when we forget that we belong to God and what Jesus has done, that Jesus is the foundation that unites us, that's when we start to stray into building up what we want, building up into other things. And it's easy because like, I feel like even talking now, there's so many times when I wanted to, I could think of this church or that church in church history, you know, and some of us now, we might even be thinking about, oh, well, obviously, is that church out there? But we're not meant to point the finger and think of another church that is the one that will be destroyed or another one with a false teacher that God is going to destroy. We're not meant to look outwards right now. 
But we're meant to be warned about what are we doing ourselves? How are we living? Not just pass the blame outside. And I'm not saying this to condemn you and tell you this is what you guys are doing, but we've got to be sober about what we are doing or how we are doing it. We've got to see that God really cares about the way his church is built. So that's the second thing. So you see, a church that belongs to God, they care and recognize gospel unity. They care about how it's being built up. And the third thing, as a church that belongs to God, they need to receive all that God has given to help it. Paul finishes off his warning by saying, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul, Apollos, Cephas, the world, life, death, or the present or the future. All are yours, and Christ, for you are Christ, and Christ is God. Paul brings it again, kind of tying these first three chapters together by bringing it back to being, thinking about being wise in this age. He says, don't be deceived by being wise in this age. In the time when Paul's talking in Corinth, to be wise in this age is to be seen as better, to be seen as uh, smarter, more intellectually um, advanced than everyone else. That's why they're dividing. They're thinking, actually, we will be have better status if we follow a Paul, or we'll have better status if we follow Apollos. That will, get, that will progress us, that will puff us up. But Paul says that is deception. Let no one deceive himself. Don't be deluded. For those that just seek after people to puff themselves up, to make themselves seem more than they are, just don't be deceived when you do that. Because these things can't offer you salvation. And these things aren't what grow you. And these things aren't what satisfy you and fulfill you. He says, instead, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Let him become a fool to the world by saying, you know what? It's not about me or how good I look or how impressive I can be. That's foolish to the world, but it's saying it's not about me, but it's about Christ. We talked a couple of weeks how the wisdom of God is Christ. Paul's saying don't be wise in this age and just follow everyone else and try and just Puff yourself up. But come back to the gospel and recognize that actually to be wise is to receive the power that God has for you. The saving power of Jesus Christ. Knowledge and wisdom 
can only get you so far. But when we pursue those things, we forget about the power of God to transform your life. And Paul says it's also deception to just, you know, follow one person or another person, because he says, for all things are yours, whether Paul, Apollos, Cephas, the world, life or death, all of these things are yours. He's saying, don't limit yourself to one teacher or another teacher. He said, God has given you all of these teachers for your benefit, for your growth anyway. It would be kind of like this. If you guys said, you know what, actually, I'm only going to come to church when Rory's teaching, because he's my favorite teacher. I mean, I only teach every once in a while. You'd be missing out on so much good teaching because you're thinking, you know, I'm only going to come when Rory teaches, or I'm going to only come when Thomas teaches, or Johnny teaches. If you were to say, actually, I'm only going to come to church because I, uh, when Clayton leads worship, because Clayton's really good at leading worship, I really feel the spirit of God moving. You're limiting yourself and you're dismissing the rest of the congregation. We've all been given here to build each other up. To build up the saints. When we're a church that belongs to God, we recognize that God has given each and every one of us to build upon this church. He's given us all each other so that we can encourage one another, pray with one another, disciple one another, receive all that God's got for you. The first thing, receive, is receive that power of Christ the saving power of Christ to transform your life and receive all the help that God has given you through the church and the congregation. Because when we recognize the need for each and every one of us, we build that church on the foundation in gospel unity. Because we belong to God. And so I'm just going to leave you with this closing thought. And I want you to think about this and take this away. Which of these things do you struggle with? Do you recognize that we actually all belong to God? That the thing that unites us is Christ in God? Are you thinking about the way that you're building up the church? The way that you're contributing to those around you? And are you limiting all the help that God's given you for your growth, your benefit, and his glory? Which one of those three? Just finish with that final verse of all these things are yours. All these things God has given. You are Christ's. And Christ's is God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that, um, that you are the unifying thread between this church, Lord. 
Lord, that you are the one that has brought us here this morning. You are the reason we are here. Lord, you are the reason that we do what we do. And Father God, I just pray that you would just help us to recognize the need to be united as a church in a world that is so divided. Help us to see, Lord, that we are united in the gospel that Christ has brought us into his family. And that is an eternal family, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would just help us, Lord, to, to think and uh, care about actually how do we build up the church. But thank you, God, that you are working through us to contribute to this church, Lord, but it is you that brings the growth and the increase. It is you that does that lasting work. Father God, I pray that you would just that you would just help us to continue to recognize that we are a church that belongs to you. And help us to be united on that firm foundation that is Christ Jesus. Lord, bless us as we leave this place. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.